All right, big picture, uh, today is part seven. Uh, I want to say a couple of things by way of introduction. Number one, all scripture is profitable for learning. All right, Genesis to Revelation, the entire scripture is profitable for learning, for training in righteousness. We can find applications for our Christian life. Okay, number two, but not every scripture is written to the church. All right, as you have learned, all right, some is written to Israel, some for the Gentiles, and some for the church. And today and next Sunday, we're going to go into Matthew 24 and 25 and discover that it is not written to the church. So some of us are going to struggle with that. But can we learn from Matthew 24, 25? Absolutely. All right? To take heed, to be one of the end times of wars and rumours of wars about deception and the Lord is coming soon. We can learn. Okay? But we need to really study the Word and its context. And, and this qualification is important because for most of us, we grew up being taught that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is written to the church. It is not so. Okay? So we have learned from the first part to look for the blessed hope. We are not looking for the Antichrist. We are not looking for the mark of the beast. We are looking for the blessed hope. We comfort each other with these words. Message number two, we knew and learned the differences between the rapture and the second coming. There are tons of scripture to differentiate that. Because you are going to find and mix with other believers, we're going to, uh, right now the current other view is the pre-wrath view. Alright? Uh, this is that the, uh, the, the, the wrath of God is only in the second half of the tribulation. Today you're going to learn that the first half of the tribulation is equally messy and chaotic and terrible. And then you have also learned along the way the difference between trouble in general and the wrath of God. All of us, we are spared the wrath of God. It doesn't make sense for God to release His wrath upon His children. But the wrath of God will be revealed and released upon everyone who is God-hating, who doesn't want to believe in Him and who rejects Him. And as we learned today also, that for the Gentiles and the people who remain on the earth, and even when all those things are happening, they've punched their fists at the face of God and defy God. And the Bible says in Revelation, they did not repent. They refused to repent. All right? They'd rather be thrown into the lake of fire, so to speak. So we've learned uh, that. And then we learned the difference between the church and Israel. That God has got a covenant with Israel. And God will fulfill His covenant with Israel. But the devil is going to go all out to want to annihilate every Jew, every Israelite, so that that promise of God, that covenant of God, will not be fulfilled. We'll learn about that in Revelation chapter 12. And then we'll also learn about the imminency of the rapture. It can happen anytime. There is no pre-warning. But the second coming, we will know when it will happen. All right? But not the rapture. It is imminent. Then fifthly, we've learned that, uh, the, the difference between the day of the Lord that begins as a thief in the night, starting with the rapture and all the way to the end of the age. And today we've come to, uh, we've learned about Daniel's 70th week, got 70 weeks of dealings with Israel. And so today and next week, we're going to go through verse by verse, all right, the whole chapter 24 and 25. So it's a bit of a Bible study, okay? I know yesterday at the Saturday service, some people fell asleep in front of me, okay? <laughs> uh, but not so for you all, you're all ready for lunch and all that, okay? All right, before we go to Matthew 24, we have to look at Matthew 23 as a background to Matthew 24, 25. Matthew 23 is a terrible chapter. Terrible words from the Lord Jesus towards the Pharisees. The Lord Jesus had been sparring with them, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. And at the end, of, uh, the, uh, he delivered a very scathing rebuke in chapter 23. Jesus pronounced seven woes on the Pharisees, the religious leaders for the hypocrisy and for leading Israel into her final judgment at the point of time. And Jesus made one last public statement lamenting Israel's decision. Matthew 23, verse 34, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. We saw this in the first early church, where many were persecuted, killed, crucified, and so forth. Verse 35, so that upon you may fall, and this is the judgment, upon Israel, 
represented by all their religious leaders, upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, Cain murdered Abel, Genesis chapter 4, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Very scary words. And if you come to the last two verses of Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. And this verse is very important. The last verse of chapter 23 of Matthew. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Verse 39. For I say to you, from now onwards, you will not see me. Jesus told Israel after his crucifixion and death, Israel will not see him anymore. There will not be any second coming. What is the condition? From now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a messianic greeting. It means that the Jews and the leaders will accept Jesus as the Messiah, accept him as coming from Father God. Blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Lord. But because the Jewish leaders led the nation to reject the Messiahship of Jesus, one day they must lead the nation to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And prophetically, this will happen in the seven tribulation years. So Matthew 23 ends with Jesus talking about his second coming. Matthew 24 and 25 is an amplification of what is going to happen prior to his second coming and he's talking specifically about the seven tribulation years. So we're going to go verse by verse. Matthew 24, verse 1 to 3. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him. Verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things pointing to the temple? Surely I say to you, not one stone should be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That means the whole temple is going to be demolished, destroyed, where one stone is left one upon the other. They're all over the place. Wow, he prophesied the destruction of this temple. And then verse 3, Now as he said on the Mount of Olives, which is why Matthew 24 is also known as the Olivet Discourse. The disciples came to Jesus privately saying, Lord, Tell us, and they posed three questions to Jesus. The first question, when will these things be? Referring to the destruction of the temple. Question number two, what will be the sign, the sign, the key sign of your coming? And the third question, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Right? So let's take it one at a time. So the first question, what will be, when will these things be? All this relates, now we can look back in history, to the destruction of the temple. This is the second temple, also known as Herod's temple. The first temple was built by Solomon. The second temple was built during the time of Haggai, Zechariah, the time of Jer Jerubbabel, and so forth. All right? And then it was partially uh, de uh, destroyed, and then it was reconstructed by King Herod. That's why it is known as King Herod's temple completely destroyed less than 40 years after Jesus was crucified in AD 70 by the Romans. Why was Jerusalem and the temple destroyed? Because Israel did not recognize the time of the visitation of the Lord Jesus. They did not accept Him as the Messiah. We read this in the Gospels. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Second question, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus answered this question from verse 4 to verse 31 of Matthew 24. Your coming refers to Jesus' second coming. Jesus was talking about the events in Matthew 24 that will happen during the seven tribulation years, which is also known as Daniel's 70th week, which is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. And in this uh, discourse, Jesus drew reference to the book of Daniel in mentioning the abomination of desolation committed by the Antichrist in the midst of the tribulation. I submit to you that the sign, the key sign of Jesus' second coming is this. 
is the abomination of desolation, which Jesus referred to uh, in Matthew 24. I will explain this as we go on. All right? the scriptures, where there are a lot of scriptures referring back to the abomination of desolation. This is the sign. So we're talking about many signs and the sign. Okay, as we unfold verse by verse in Matthew 24. So, this question, what will be the sign of your coming? This does not refer to the rapture at all. Because at the time of this discourse, the rapture remained a mystery. It was later revealed to the Apostle Paul. That says the church was a mystery, later revealed to the Apostle Paul, the gospel of grace. Okay, uh, God permitting, all right, this coming third quarter, I will talk about this, all these mysteries. The mysteries of the church, the mysteries of the rapture, the mysteries of Christ in you. So Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24 a lot of things, but let's take note of just five things. And all these five things tells us and confirms to us his reference was to Israel and the Jews. It has no relevance to the church. Firstly, enduring to the end. We don't have to endure to the end, but the Jews, they must, which I'll explain as we go on in Revelation 12. Secondly, Jesus referred to the temple. This is the third temple that will be built during the tribulation. That will be functioning at the beginning of the tribulation. We are already the temples of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, He told those who live in Judea to flee to the mountains. Today, we have Christian believers everywhere in the world, in China, in India, in Singapore, in Malaysia, in Australia, in Canada. How do we flee to the mountains? No relevance to us. Fourthly, he talks about the Sabbath. For the church, we have the Lord of the Sabbath. But today, Israel, the Jews, are still observing the Sabbath. And fifthly, he talks about the elect. The elect, I'm going to show scriptures, refers specifically in this context to the Jews and to Israel. It has no relevance to the church. I know in practice, in application, we sometimes say the elect are all God's servants, God's chosen ones, inclusive of the church. Yes, in the broadest general sense, but specifically in Matthew 24, the elect refers to Israel. When will, when will be the, the third question? When will be the end of the age? All right, when will be the end of the age? After the second coming, Jesus will establish the millennial messianic kingdom. During this kingdom, all of the covenant to Israel will be fulfilled. They will return to the land which God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then after that, it is followed by the great white throne judgment, the judgment of books open, then the end of the age, the end of time. It's called the day of God, mentioned by the apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.12. And then after that is the beginning of eternity, the new heavens and the new earth. The end of age. Age is time. All right? After that, there will be no more time, as we have learned from last weekend's message. So, this whole question, this second question, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus answered this question for the rest of Matthew 24 and 25. He spoke of many signs and the sign. Okay? So, we're going to do a fair bit of Bible study, verse by verse, all right, as we go on. This will be the outline for today and for next <coughs> Sunday. All right? Happenings during uh, the first three and a half years, happenings at mid-tribulation, happenings during the last three and a half years, and then next weekend we're going to talk about the five parabolic illustrations, where Jesus mentioned these five parabolic illustrations to highlight and to drive home the point about the tribulation. Then the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the sheep and goat judgments next week. Okay, so firstly, happenings during the first three and a half years. From verse 4 to verse 14 of Matthew 24, there is a parallel to the six seal judgments of Revelation 6. Not word for word, not line for line, not precept upon precept, but the themes, the parallel. All right, so let's look at this six. Seal number one the tribulation begins with the revealing of the Antichrist. And the purpose of the Antichrist is to deceive. Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, we've done verse 1 to 3. Uh, Jesus answered, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I was talking to a pastor who just graduated from a theological school, and he was telling me in the, in the theological school, they're studying all through history, even in the first 100 years after the early church was formed, 
there were groups and cults and sects where there are different individuals who claim to be Jesus Christ. And all the way into today, in the Philippines, in China, in Africa, people who claim and have followers and say that they are Jesus Christ incarnate again. All right? So for us, we have been well taught in the Word of God, all these things seem very alien. But for people who are not grounded in the Word, not listening to the whole counsel of God, you can be easily deceived. Revelation 6 tells us the beginning of the first seal that is broken, that is un un unsealed. A white horse, the Antichrist sat on it, he had a bow and a crown was given to him. He went out conquering and to conquer. The first seal reveals the Antichrist, the false Messiah. The rider on the white horse is a counterfeit. He is a false Christ. He goes about to conquer, to, to win uh, many nations in his, in his, in his uh in his going around, all right, and we see the current Abraham Accords between Israel and the UAE, Israel and the different Arab nations as a precursor to this ultimate treaty signed by the Antichrist and with Israel and the many nations. He brings about a false peace because a lot of nations will be gabbering, they are alarmed by the supernatural removal of the church. I submit to you that we are one billion over born again, spirit-filled, blood-bought believers who will be raptured. The church. All truly born again believers. And this is a significant number. Primarily in the US, in Europe, in Singapore, in China, in India. All right? uh, you're talking about a significant percent, 5, 10, 15% uh, of, of, of each of these places that will disappear. And there will be an alarm. Okay? And, the, and I submit to you, later on, I'm going to talk about this, probably about a 50-day period after the rapture, before the peace treaty is confirmed. And there's enough time for them to gather around and for this Antichrist to deceive the nations. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, John, who wrote the epistles, warned us, do not believe every spirit. There are many false prophets. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already present, the spirit of Antichrist in the world, to deceive. And this is the crux of today's message, that we may not be deceived. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, verse 6 to 8. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day the rapture will not come unless... What happens first? There is a falling away comes first. You look in Europe, you look in the US, you look in uh, a lot of the parts of the world, there is a falling away from the church. Especially uh, from the recent Bana uh, uh, report. All right, that speaks about this big gap between the belief system of the, the teens and the 20s as contrasted with those 45 and above. There's this world of difference. Uh, comes first and then the man of sin is revealed. Then the Antichrist is revealed. Verse 6 tells us we need to know why he is not revealed yet. Verse 7 tells us, for only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away. He is restraining the spirit of Antichrist. Who is this he? This he is the church. This he is the Holy Spirit in the church. The church is the salt and light of every society of every nation. The church is salt and light to reduce uh, the, the level and intensity of corruption and immorality and wickedness and evil in the world. In history, the Antichrist Epiphanes, he, he was a Gentile, he destroyed the earlier temple. And I submit to you, he is a type of the future Antichrist. This future Antichrist is likely to come from the end-time Roman Empire. We know it from Daniel 9, 26, which we've gone through before. After 62 weeks, Jesus will be, uh, he'll be crucified and died. And then the people of the prince, referring to the people of the Antichrist, who were they? The Romans. They shall come and destroy the city of Jerusalem and they will destroy the temple in Jerusalem. So it gives us one hint. The second hint is in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 verse 15. It says that the Antichrist, the beast, is going to rise up from the sea. And the sea generally denotes the Gentile nations. Seal number two, wars and rumours of war. Verse 6 of Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You parallel to, to Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. A second seal was opened, there was a red horse, a fiery red horse, and granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. 
and that the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The rider on the first horse is the counterfeit Christ. He's the uh, Antichrist. But very soon after that, the second rider on the red horse will cause multiple wars breaking out throughout the world. Nations will, get, will be against nations. A nation is like, for example, uh, India against China. Right? You see these current skirmishes on the border near Kashmir. And kingdom against kingdom. A kingdom is a coalition of nations or people's group. So, for example, let's say NATO against a coalition of nations. Or as we know in the battle of Gog and Magog. So, early in this tribulation, the Antichrist is already involved in warfare against nations. The scriptures in the book of Daniel there, uh, Revelation 6, 4, again, granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and people will kill one another and give it to him a great sword. Seal number 3 and 4, I group this together, famines, pestilences, sword, earthquakes and death, which is in verse 7 and verse 8 of Matthew 24. We parallel this in Revelation chapter 6. He opened the third seal, a black horse, a pair of scales in his hand, uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A little, uh, your, your money can buy very little because of hyperinflation. A quick reminder, Matthew 24 up to uh, verse 14 covers the first half of the tribulation period. The abomination of desolation occurs in the middle of the seven years. Therefore, events prior to the middle of the seven years are events in the first half of the tribulation. It means that this famine, these earthquakes of Matthew 24 verse 7 speaks not of now, it speaks of a future time. It's yet to come, which means that it's going to be much, much worse. Throughout history, there's always been false Christ and false prophets. Throughout history, there's always been wars and rumours of wars. Throughout history, there's always been persecutions and martyrdom of believers. Throughout history, up to today, February 2021, there's always been earthquakes and famines in different parts of the world. But in the context of Matthew 24, it's speaking of a time yet future, in which these events will occur as a part of God's direct wrath and judgment. It will be much, much, much worse. Revelation 6, verse 5 and 6, he opened the, the seal, the black, uh, the black horse. So there will be famines and pestilences, sickness, diseases. There will be a lack of clean water. And all this leading to death. They are all likely, because of what has occurred directly and indirectly, a result of the ravages of war from the earlier second seal of the red horse. Verse 7 and 8 of Revelation 6, the fourth seal, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades, followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. The population of the world is just under 8 billion. One quarter of 8 billion is 2 billion. So slightly less than 2 billion people will die, will be killed with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Seal number 5, persecution and martyrdom of believers up to the first half of the tribulation. Matthew 24, now we go on to verse 9 and 10 and 11. They will deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. Verse 10, many will be offended. There will be betrayal and hatred. And verse 11, there will be many false prophets will arise and there will be deception. Revelation 6, verse 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they have held. These are what we call the tribulation saints. It refers to persecution and martyrdom of believers up to the first half of the tribulation. So it will include, once the church is raptured, all who are saved up to the church rapture, they are saved. They are the second category of believers. The first category of believers are the Old Testament saints. Then the church. The church is anybody, Jew or Gentile, who believes in Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Then comes those who are saved after the rapture all the way to mid-tribulation. They are known as the tribulation saints. They are known as the tribulation saints. Seal number six, lawlessness, anarchy, earthquakes, cosmic signs, chaos, disasters, all worsening. All right? And from the seal judgments, it will lead to the trumpet judgments and the bow judgments to follow. Matthew 24 again, all right? uh, it talks about lawlessness that will increase. Verse 8, 
when Jesus uttered this phrase, all these are the beginning of sorrows, I submit to you in his mind, he was talking about worse things to come, the trumpet and bow judgments to follow. Revelation 6, all right, verse, the 6th seal, verse 12, a great earthquake, the sun became black, the moon became like blood. Verse 13, the stars of the heaven fell as the fig tree drops its figs. Verse 14, then the sky receded. And uh, you go on to verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks. Why? He said, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Who is him who sits on the throne? God. The wrath of God, the Father God. And hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 of Revelation 6, for the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? You find that it's all going to be worsening. And one uh, of the opinions that you're going to come across from other believers uh, is they're going to talk about, oh, the wrath of God is not going to come until the last three and a half years. Not so. Many perceive that the first half of the tribulation is a time of great peace. Definitely not. You look at all that's going to happen. There will be almost a world war in the second seal. One quarter of the earth will be killed by famine, pestilence and wild beasts when the fourth seal is open. One third of the earth will be burned by fire from heaven in the first trumpet. One third of the fish in the seas will die in the second trumpet. One third of remaining people on earth will die in the sixth trumpet. And this is all during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. So don't believe that lie that the first three and a half years of the tribulation is peace. It is not. Don't believe that lie that the church will not be raptured until the mid-tribulation or the end of the tribulation. That is a lie. You need to look at the Word of God in its totality and seek and study the whole counsel of God. Then Matthew 24 verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. This verse has yet to be completely fulfilled. And I submit to you, it can only be fulfilled in the future, during the tribulation years. Throughout the tribulation years, the gospel is continuously preached. In the first three and a half years, by the 144,000 evangelists, I submit to you that 144,000 evangelists who are Jews, they are saved almost immediately after the rapture of the church. And by then, their eyes will be opened. Wow, what is happening? I submit to you, there are many of these in Israel today, in the many messianic congregations, and they have all these Jews who come, who are inquirers and questioners, and they're going to be awakened. Something has happened. And their eyes will be opened to receive Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord and Saviour. And they're going to be filled with the Spirit and with a zeal, and they're going to preach the gospel in the entire world. They're going to go to the entire world with signs and wonders, and assisted by these two witnesses, most probably Elijah and Moses. And they're going to show signs and wonders, and a great multitude are going to be saved. In fact, the Bible says that this great multitude that will be saved is uncountable. Revelation 7 verse 9, they cannot be counted. And my thinking is that there will be so many people saved from post-rapture up to mid-tribulation, there is more than those who are unsaved. I submit to you, there will be many among our loved ones. Those who have been invited to church, those you are trying to reach out to, our colleagues, our family members. But up to now, they have yet to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Up to now, they have yet to surrender their hearts to Jesus. They have perhaps in their hearts been cynical, been sceptical. All roads lead to Rome. All religions are the same. All right? you, you walk your own road, I walk my own road. All right? But what's going to happen when you disappear, when I disappear, when believers disappear? They look around for a few days, oh, maybe they travel, or they can't travel. They look around for one or two more weeks, they're still not around. Telephone call, WhatsApp, Viber, Telegram, Signal, still can't connect. What happened to them? Oh, and how about their friends? Not around. I submit to you, there'll be people who miss the rapture who will immediately know why they miss the rapture. And they're going to repent. Remember the video I showed you in the first two messages, all right? The pastor preaching and so forth, and then boom, all of a sudden, rapture. Then the handful remaining in the church. This handful will be the people we have been in contact with. 
that believers have been reaching out to, sharing the gospel, trying to get them to believe in Jesus, trying to get them uh, to church, trying to get them back to the Lord and so forth. They will come to the Lord. I submit to you, they will repent. All right? They get saved by faith during this tribulation period and they will become bold warriors for the truth. But they are not a part of the church. They are another category of believers. Happenings and mid-tribulation. What will happen at mid-tribulation? Verse 15 is pivotal. You must mark Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, mark this word, therefore. Therefore means we must look at all the preceding verses. All the preceding verses, Jesus was talking about many signs of His coming. Therefore, now He's talking about the sign, the key sign. When you see what? When you see the abomination of desolation. And He quoted from the book of Daniel. When you see uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place and then the author Matthew wrote in, in, in bracket in your Bible, whoever reads, let him understand. The Jews understood this. When Jesus told this to, to the disciples, they understood. Of course, this was referencing to Daniel 9.27 about the Antichrist that in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice. He will forbid the Jews to sacrifice and he will commit the abomination of desolation. He's going he's to bring probably a pig all right, and commit all this, uh, bring all these unclean things into the temple. And then he's going to enter the temple, set himself up as God. The sign, the key sign is the abomination of desolation and referencing back to the book of Daniel of which Jesus referred and mentioned a few things following that verse, that verse, all right? That verse, verse 15. Therefore, when you see, all right, there are two other references to the abomination of desolation. Daniel eleven thirty one and Daniel 12, verse 11. Where the Antichrist will take away the sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. He's going to commit this atrocious act to defile the temple. This is the third temple. I, su I submit to you that preparations for the temple are already done. All right? They are already done, and by the time it is post-rapture, by the time the Antichrist confirms the treaty with Israel, the temple will be up and running at the beginning of the seven years. The Jews will bring the sacrifices. Remember, they are still following the old covenant, the sacrifices of the unblemished lamb, the unblemished heifer, uh, and so forth. But the Antichrist, in the middle of the seven years, which will happen, he will stop the sacrifices, he will set up a statue image of himself. And by that time, he will be joined by the false prophet. And they are going to have signs and wonders. Satan himself, by the middle of it, which I will mention in a moment, he will be cast down and he's going to wreak havoc. But the church is not there. The Holy Spirit in the believers, they are not there. And he's going to go all out with signs and wonders and even the statue image in that temple is going to come alive. He's going to shock and deceive many people. But we know the conclusion. At the end of it all, the Antichrist himself will be captured and thrown alive into the lake of fire. Revelation 19 verse 20 tells us that. Verse 15, again, Therefore, when you see, alright, what did Jesus say? Verse 16, Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I'll elaborate this in a moment. We know this as we study Scripture, must interpret Scripture in Revelation 12. He explained to us why they flee to the mountains. Again, this refers to the Jews, not to the church. Then verse 17, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of it. If you're on the housetop, just run. Go to, go, to, to, go to the mountains. Don't come down. He speaks of urgency. Verse 18, let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes in the house. Urgency. Verse 8, 19, woe to those who are pregnant. If you're pregnant with a big tummy, it's going to be hard to run. And for those who are nursing babies in those days, because your baby is going to cry, you're going to carry the baby and nurse your baby and pray that your flight may not be in winter, because winter is very difficult to travel. Or your flight will not be on the Sabbath. If you have been to Israel, on the Sabbath day, from the uh, dusk of Friday, towards evening of Friday to the evening of Saturday, it is their Sabbath where every public transportation will cease operation. You say, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. And again, as we have mentioned, there is no relevance to the church. Then follows the abomination of desolation. 
all right? And Jesus is addressing this to, uh, to the remnant Jews. Why? Because Satan's remaining time is numbered. From the time the abomination of desolation is committed, Satan only has three and a half years left. I'll give you the scripture in a moment in Revelation 12. What will Satan try to do? He will attempt to kill all remaining remnant Jews. To disprove God's promise, God's covenant to Israel, that Israel will be saved and that there will be a, a final millennial messianic kingdom where Jesus will reign on earth. If Satan managed to kill every Jew, he makes a mockery of God. But what will happen is God is going to intervene. God will supernaturally protect and provide this remnant. All right? Here it is, Revelation chapter 12. You have to read the whole chapter to know that he's talking about Israel. All right? He's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars. So we go to verse 6 of Revelation chapter 12. The woman, which is the remnant believing Jews, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. I submit to you, this is a place in Petra, in Ammon, in Jordan. I've been there at least twice, all right? But the places that we go is the touristy area. There's a, almost a one-mile entrance into this whole Petra area. It's very narrow, all right? But it's a much, much larger uh, area geographically. And there, God will feed them for 1,260 days. 1,260 days is three and a half years, based on the Jewish calendar of a 30-day month. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you, because what? The devil knows that he has a short time. The devil's days are numbered. Revelation 12, verse 12. He knows he only got three and a half years left before Jesus' second coming. Verse 13, Now the dragon saw that he has been cast to the earth. He was first cast from the third heavens to the second heavens when Jesus rose from the dead. And that's where he's operating up to today. The second heavens, the atmospheric realms, ruling and, and stirring his whole demonic host all right, to wreak havoc on, upon the earth to steal, kill and destroy. Here, he's going to be cast from the second heavens down to the earth. Verse 13, the dragon saw that he had been cast down to the earth, all right, and he persecuted the woman Israel and he, who gave birth to the male child Jesus. Here we know that it is Israel because Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, from Israel. Verse 14, the woman was given, uh, sorry, the woman here is Israel, the remnant Jews, they were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly. Literally, as they flee to the mountains, they are carried by the eagle's wings by the Lord into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, referring to three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. Here, God is supernaturally protecting Israel from Satan. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water. So the, the serpent could not reach them physically. What did he do? He caused a great flood. He spewed water like a flood. But verse 16, the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. This is supernatural protection from God. A huge flood. But then somehow God caused the earth to absorb that whole amount of water. Verse 17, and the dragon was angry and raged with the woman because he was unsuccessful to kill the remnant Jews. And then he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keeps the commandment of God, the remaining believers in all the other parts of the world. Happenings during the last three and a half years. Verse 21 now. Now we come to verse 21 of Matthew 24. Then Jesus said, For then, now he's referring to the last three and a half years, but from here onwards, Jesus did not give any more details of the last three and a half years. He's this one phrase, For then, there will be great tribulation. And in his mind, he's talking about the coming trumpet and bow judgments which we know from the book of Revelations, and which has not been since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. Verse 22, unless those days were shortened, and God has shortened it to three and a half years, 1,260 days. If it's not shortened, no flesh would have been saved. But for the elect sake, for the sake of Israel, all right, the days are shortened. Verse 23, he tells them to be careful, and verse 24, and to watch out for false Christ, false prophets, who will show great signs and wonders. He's referring to the Antichrist and the false prophet and mystery Babylon, which is the religious part of Babylon where there will be signs and miracles where the Antichrist will rise from the dead. And he says in verse 25, See, I told you beforehand, do not believe it. 
Do not say that the Messiah is there, the Messiah is in the room, and so forth. Then verse 27, he concludes that the, three, the remaining three and a half years will conclude with verse 27, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, Jesus will come back as the Son of Man. Verse 24, verse 28, Matthew 24, verse 28, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Here Jesus is referring to Revelation 19, at the battle of Armageddon. There is a call to the vouchers and the birds of the air to come to a great banquet for them, to eat of the flesh of kings and generals and warriors and horses and riders. The entire army was killed by the Lord and the vouchers on the, uh, of the air came to gorge themselves on the dead body. There will be a massive killing in the battle of Armageddon. This is a picture, a chart you've seen very often and at, the, uh, at the battle of Armageddon, that's when the vouchers are invited to feast on the dead bodies of horses and of men and generals and, and whoever that were killed in the battle. Matthew 24, verse 29. It goes on to say, immediately after uh, the tribulation, he talked about the cosmic blackout. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. This is repeated and quoted from Joel 2.31 and Peter quoted this in his sermon in Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 20. I want to, want to emphasize that this cosmic blackout will occur before the coming of the great awesome day of the Lord, before the second coming of Christ. All right? Always we take scripture to interpret scripture. Then Matthew 24, we go on to verse 30. In verse 30, then the sign, all right, this is the fulfillment. Then the final sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And he mentioned this, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Jesus used this phrase, the tribes of the earth, to contrast with the tribes of Israel. All the tribes of the earth were referring, are referring to the unbelieving Gentiles which we read from Revelation, even when all those things were happening, they were still blaspheming God, they are hating God, they hate the Bible, and what happened to all these believers, alright, and they were still curse God, and the Bible says they refused to repent. Now, the tribes of Israel will not be mourning. The tribes of the earth, they will be mourning. The tribes of Israel will not be mourning because they will be celebrating the Lord's return. They will see the hand of Yahweh, the hand of Jehovah, providing for them, protecting them. And they're looking forward to the Messiah's second coming, Jesus' second coming. And therefore, the Jews who endure to the end of the tribulation, they will be saved. They persevered all the way looking to the Messiah. Which Jesus has been telling them, you look forward for the Son of Man will come. But the tribes of the earth, the unbelieving Gentiles, they will not be celebrating. Because the Lord's return will bring the judgment upon them. Because at the end of, the, uh, 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 of that will be the establishment of the millennial kingdom and after that, the judgment of the great white throne and the judgment of the books. Verse 31, And he will send his angels with a great sound to gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is to fulfill God's covenant with Israel. That wherever they've been scattered, he will gather them back. So for example, one of the covenants is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 3 and 4. God says, I will gather you again from the nations where you have been scattered. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 30. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts of the under heaven, go to Alaska, Antarctica, wherever, all right? From there, the Lord your God will gather you and from there, He will bring you back by His angels. He will gather every single remnant believing Jew. And how do we know that the elect refers to Israel? Let's give you two scriptures here. Isaiah 65 verse 9. God says, I'll bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah and heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. God refers to the tribes of Israel, the Jews as his elect. Isaiah 45 verse 4. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect. I even call you by your name. I have named you though you have not known me. The angels will gather the elect from the four winds, from all the corners of the earth. What will be the sign of Jesus' second coming? 
There are many signs leading to this sign, and the sign he was emphasizing is a sign from the book of Daniel, the abomination of desolation. And he gave them a lot of advice, what to do, flee to the mountains, or right, pray that your, your flight will not be in winter, pray that uh, you, you will not be uh, caught on the Sabbath day, and so forth. And then he talked about the events happening at mid-tribulation, and then in the events that will happen in the last three and a half years. This is our today's message. Next week, I'm going to talk about the five parabolic illustrations for the rest of Matthew chapter 24. The parabolic illustrations goes on to reinforce what's going to happen during the tribulation years. And then he's going to talk about the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the sheep and good judgments. They're all referring to Israel and not to the church. What, so what about this whole message? As I was reflecting on the first seal that will be opened will reveal the Antichrist. And Jesus said the first thing, the, the disciples asked the three questions, verse 1 to verse 3 of Matthew 24. Jesus said in verse 4 and 5, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. And the admonition for each one of us as a church is that we must, as we live in these end times, that no one deceives me. You don't have to quote this pastor, that author, that speaker, and so forth. No point. Quote the Bible. Quote and speak with conviction as the Holy Spirit gives you conviction. 2 Thessalonians says that there are many who will be deceived. And because they are deceived with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. So church, one of the ways we can protect ourselves from being deceived is to love the truth. Is to love the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And who else is Jesus? He's the Word. And when you love the Word and study the Word of God, all right, it will help protect you from error, from deception. Deception, all it needs is a wrong idea, a wrong thought, a wrong teaching, a wrong doctrine. And from the beginning and over time, you find that you're going in a totally different direction. Deception occurs a little bit at a time. Romans 11, 25-27, Paul warned about what happened to Israel. Paul said, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Because blindness in part has happened to Israel. And they've got to go through all this. Today is the window of grace. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. But if they choose not to believe in God, they choose to reject God, then we will reap the consequences of our choices. That was what happened to Israel. Blindness, spiritual blindness has happened to Israel. But Paul, in saying this, give a, give a warning that we should not be ignorant lest we are wise in our own opinions. Lest you should be wise in your own opinions or the opinions of men or the opinions of the world. Better that we know the Scriptures. You need to know the Word of God yourself. Of course, there's no comparison the degree we know, you need to know for yourself to build your belief system and your faith convictions. In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. The Pharisees are very particular. They copied the Old Testament, the Torah, from one scroll to another scroll. Every bit of it. They were very meticulous, very careful. And Jesus rebuked them. He says, for in them, you think. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you think that you have eternal life. But, but you don't even know that the whole scriptures testify of Jesus. Remember in Luke chapter 24, when he spoke to the two Emmaus disciples, he says the entire prophets and the law, they speak about him. The word of God speaks about Jesus. The whole word of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And verse 40, he says, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I want to emphasize the importance of developing a personal relationship with God. Here he's rebuking the Pharisees. They go from Bible study to Bible study. They go from conference to conference. They read all these books. They go, to, go through all the doctrines and theology. No use! Because the knowledge must lead to our spirit and come in a living relationship with God. They do not have a seeking, open heart towards God. And this is a warning for all of us. It's a warning for me. How to stay on the right course? I was posed this question by a young pastor. Pastor, how do you know that you're not in error? We need to be checked. Every Monday, the pastoral staff will shed 
the messages into pieces. <laughs> we will ask questions. We have got a board of elders who are intelligent, smart people, men of God. And we've got people in the congregation who will write questions and ask questions about this, that, and the other, and they've done so. And one of the reasons I love teaching in, in this Bible school is that amongst a lot of young people, they love to ask questions. It's a four or five hour session each day, and there'll be plenty of questions. I'm not worried about questions because iron sharpens iron. And I just had a long session just last week uh, from about 6.30 p.m. all the way past midnight uh, with the Haggai International people, people from Asia all the way to Africa to South America and so forth. And my other colleague in, in Maui, he actually, his day is night night. His day. He starts about 1 a.m. He ends about 6.30 a.m. His night is day, day is night. Why? To preach the gospel, to provide spiritual leadership, to equip the people in the nations for the gospel. And iron sharpen iron. People will spar with you. They are scholars. They are those who are theologically trained and so forth. But the very important thing here, and which I've learned over this last coming to 54 years, the knowledge in the head, the several part, must be translated into our spirit, our relationship with God. We must go to God all the time. And one of the prayers I've been praying, there are many names of the Holy Spirit. I, I actually pray almost every name I know of the Holy Spirit. And one of the names is that He's the Spirit of Truth. I say, Holy Spirit of Truth, you have to expose every lie, every deception, every error. You have to expose every falsehood. Lord, if I'm not communicating this properly, if I'm not getting this right, which is why I mentioned about the whole of last year, there are things I need to unlearn to relearn. Some people are going to react, Matthew 24 is not about the church. Because I, I brought, I've been brought up to learn Genesis to Revelation is all about the church. Not so. What it means to say is all scripture is profitable for learning. But we need to divide what is written to the church, what is written to Israel. And we need to understand all of God's dealings with us. This last slide, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, my words will by no means pass away. So how to stay in the, with the spirit of truth, which is the, from the word of truth? Keep on hearing, reading, studying, asking questions, remembering, pondering, meditating, in the context of our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 2 9, the last verse, it says, What eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Revelation, insights, downloads. And today we are living in the last day of February 2021. Prophecy is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer in the end times. Remember, 2530 over years ago, the prophet Daniel did not understand. The angel told him, It's okay. Wrap up the prophecies are given to you. Go your way, Daniel. Because this pertains to the end times. Now it's 2,530 over years past the time of the prophet Daniel. Today, February 28, 2021. How many more years left? I don't know. 2, 3, 20, 25. Personally, I do not see beyond that. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has revealed or prepared for those who love Him. As we end this message today, is this simple admonition, take heed that no one deceives you. Not even yourself. Lest we be wise in our own thinking. Which means that we must always, always, always be rooted to the Word of God and connected to the Holy Spirit. We must always submit to the authority of Scriptures, obeying Scriptures, obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And what will help us is we remain plugged into the body life of the church. We will grow up believers who wish we can have fun, can go out, have meals, go for a walk, but we can iron sharpen iron. We can provoke each other to good work. We can exhort one another, encourage one another to stay the right path. And that's what it's all about.